This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Tom Shalhoub. I'm Maria Bartiromo, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, September 14th, 2023. I'm Lisa Brady. Can Congress move past the politics to find common ground on the southern border? I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. This is an American issue, and we need to work together to find solutions. I'm John Saucier. The people of Pennsylvania can breathe a sigh of relief after a convicted murderer who busted out of prison has finally been caught. It took about two weeks, though, to round up Danelle Cavacante, who had a mix of luck and will to evade capture for so long. You look at him and think he's not sophisticated, but with his background, he was a very savvy criminal. And I'm Greg Jarrett. I've got the final word on the Fox News run. Right now. Millions of people are victims of human trafficking. Women, children, and men trafficked for sex, forced labor, or used as drug mules. The U.S. State Department estimating more than 27 million trafficking victims globally earlier this year, and often hidden in plain sight. That's why Virginia is launching a new business alliance, an effort to train businesses to recognize and report human trafficking. This is our next step, to take this challenge and to fight this horrific crime. Obed Diaz Rodriguez with the Northern Virginia Hispanic American Chamber of Commerce says many trafficking cases impact the Hispanic community. It's also a border issue House Republicans are calling attention to on Capitol Hill. I cannot understand why this president remains confident in a secretary who has put so many American lives into the crosshairs of the cartels. Tennessee Republican Congressman Mark Green, who chairs the House Homeland Security Committee, calling out President Biden and DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for what he calls an open border with horrific consequences, including 400,000 unaccompanied migrant minors released in the U.S., also reiterating reports the administration lost track of 85,000 of them. But the ranking member of the committee, Mississippi Congressman Benny Thompson, says the Biden administration is working to implement an orderly, humane border, and he accuses Republicans of playing politics, noting the title of the hearing, referring to the devastating impact of the Biden-Mayorkas border crisis. It's apparently lost on Republicans that it was actually the Trump administration's border policies that imposed devastating human costs, particularly on families and children. The kind of finger-pointing that ends up getting attention instead of the issue of trafficking. I think it's twofold. I think that it doesn't get enough attention because uh, the general public doesn't realize what an issue this is. New York Republican Congressman Anthony D'Esposito sits on the House Homeland Security Committee and is also a former New York City police detective. You know, if, if you look at the numbers, the cartels along the southern border was $150 billion business uh, last year. I mean, that number is astronomical and much of the money that uh, is generated from these cartels uh, is by human trafficking. I mean, that's something that was shared in the in the hearing. Much of the focus has been with fentanyl and illegal narcotics coming over our southern border. But uh, you know, you sell a, a fentanyl pill; it's taken once. 
unfortunately, human trafficking, uh, you could sell them over and over and over again. So it's a uh, it's a business that uh, has caused devastating effects on so many communities. And now, as we've seen this uh, this border issue become a crisis uh, across states uh, throughout the country, um, and, and we say constantly that every state is now a border state, and trafficking is a huge part of it. And uh, one of the things that I've focused on in the hearing and, and asked our witnesses about is how does the federal government do a better job with providing resources to law enforcement agencies so that they have a good understanding of how to investigate crimes that have to do with human trafficking. I mean, I, I was an NYPD detective for years, uh, and you know, I, I could honestly say that many of the, the crimes that we investigated, very few had to do with human trafficking. So we need to make sure that law enforcement agencies are communicating and providing the resources that these agencies need in order to effectively investigate human trafficking and crimes that are related. How is human trafficking happening? Is it cartels smuggling people in or is it that they have associates waiting in the U.S.? How does it happen? It happens both ways. But I think the one that that we need to focus on most right now is that um, there are many individuals who the trafficking has become part of the sales pitch to get them over the border. And as we've seen, people are coming across the border. They're being manipulated by cartels and then when they get across into America and they're faced with a you know a, a price to pay many of them don't have the money in order to pay the cartels so what happens they fall into uh, a life of you know human trafficking in order to pay off their debt and as we know once you're in debt to the cartel it's very hard to pay your debt and move on and and honestly you know nobody uh, anywhere in this country should be subject to the uh, to the disaster that uh, the cartels uh, place them in with with trafficking and secondly there are uh, without a doubt you know cartels and illegal uh, enterprises uh, perhaps they're not you know not part of the cartel but other illegal enterprises that are taking advantage of these individuals being shipped into sanctuary cities not knowing how they're going to provide how they're going to put money in their pocket and they are preying on individuals coming into these cities with nowhere to go and nobody to turn to when it comes to the children where are they where are the parents are in i mean in some cases i imagine they're trafficked as well but are there other cases where they're they're trusting their children with bad people absolutely I, again it's this is another one of those questions where really there's there's so many answers to it but yes they are trusting um, cartels to to get their children across the southern border uh, they think that uh, they will be able to, you know, pay their vig when they when they get across, and then realize that they're not able to. And and now that the children are in the hands of of really bad people doing really bad things, uh, and then there's you know there's parents that um, are hoping, and and obviously it's it's not uh, realistic, but they're hoping that uh, they're going to come across the southern border, and the and the the cartels. Uh, will somehow, you know, have an epiphany and and become good people, uh, and, and let them not have to pay off their their debt to to the cartels. You alluded to your time in law enforcement. You were an NYPD detective. How hard is it to track down these victims in these operations? 
It's not easy. Uh, you know, you need to, unfortunately, in this situation, many of the individuals that are committing these crimes, as well as the victims, uh, are not in our databases. Uh, obviously, they've come across many uh, across our our southern border. They're not coming through our points points of entry, so there's uh, there's no information on them. So it does become very difficult, and and there are not many witnesses that are willing uh, to talk about these situations because they're afraid for their lives. And not only that, it takes a, a a mental toll on investigators. I mean, investigating crimes like this, whether it's sex crimes, whether it's human trafficking of of young children being, you know, used as sex slaves, it, it, it takes a mental toll. And we need to really look at this in, in many different aspects, not only providing the resources so that the crimes can be investigated and people could be brought to justice, but also providing resources so that these investigators and, and these people that uh, are hunting down these bad people, you know, have a place to turn when they're concerned about their own mental health. And then, of course, the toll on the victims as well, when they are rescued, then they become really trauma survivors, right? And that's another that's another aspect of um, the kinds of resources that, yeah. are, that are needed. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I think that many, you know, district attorneys, the U.S. Attorney's Office, um, many have uh, victims advocates and and programs for victims in order to to help in situations. But I think that at least here in the United States, and I'll be specific to New York. I mean, when you're looking at victims, you're talking about victims that were. Uh, you know, victims of of robberies and larcenies and crimes that you hear about each and every day. I, I don't. I'm not certain that these victim advocacy groups have the 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 resources that they need and are prepared. I think we can get them there, and and obviously they they're there to help. Um, but I'm not sure if they're prepared to to deal with uh, individuals like you said that the victims of the of that are are trafficked um and and those who are are helping put these people behind bars it's a very different crime and and they need to be handled in a very different way do we have any handle on how many trafficking victims there are at any given time just in the us i don't have numbers but from the the hearing uh, i think the the numbers are uh, you know, one that we can't even grasp. Uh, there's so many uh, people that come across our southern border now, over a million gotaways that uh, we have no idea where they are, what they're doing, and who they're involved with. I mean, th those numbers right there are very, very alarming. And and obviously, then you have the, the people who do come across uh, the legal way. And, and like I said before, are taken advantage of by cartels or criminal enterprises uh, that are taking advantage of these individuals. What stood out to you at this hearing? Did you hear anything that really surprised you? Um, you know, given the fact that you're you're well aware, obviously, of this trafficking problem existing. Yeah. I think what surprises me and, and concerns me and, and just it's very frustrating that we're sitting in that hearing and my colleagues from across the aisle just don't see the issues that we're facing. And, and instead of trying to find solutions, they continue to want to point the finger and and some of them putting their head in the sand saying that there is no issue at the southern border where we don't have a problem with human trafficking so that's the stuff that really concerns me and and you know the the facts are presented i mean we had a group of witnesses we you know somebody who has spent his life uh to human trafficking and to to you know giving people uh freedom the wife of a customs and border patrol agent who every night has her husband come home and hears the 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 stories of 
of, of what's going on and, and the, the toll that it's taking, not only on law enforcement, but what's taken on our economy. I mean, these people are giving us facts of, of everything that is, is failing uh, along our border and now coming to cities throughout this country. They're providing facts. They're providing numbers, people dying, people being trafficked. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. This is an American issue, and we need to work together to find solutions. But putting your head in the sand and claiming that there's no issue is, is a real problem and one that scares me. Where is the common ground on this. I mean, we've heard from both sides of the aisle to varying degrees that the the system is broken. Where is the common ground? Can you find the, it? The common ground is is one that needs to be uh, worked through compromise and, and having real conversations and putting boots on the ground and visiting that southern border and coming here to New York City and seeing that. I mean, we have a Democratic mayor who is, is pretty far to the left I mean, has flat out said that this is going to destroy New York City. This is going to essentially dim the lights on Broadway, crush our economy. I mean, this is a Democrat saying saying that. So, yeah, there there needs to be compromise. There needs to be common ground and there needs to be open, open eyes and open ears uh, in order to see the issues that we're facing. And I think one of the most important situations is that we need to really have a, a fine line between immigration and protecting our border. They're, they're two different things. Obviously, very often they get intertwined. Immigration is one issue and securing our border is something else. And I think right now we need to take a hard stance uh, on our southern border. We need to shut it down and we need to focus on how to get people into this country the right way. I've always said people need to be afforded the American dream. People should come to this country and and have the ability to raise a family, to worship freely, to, to make money and, and achieve that American dream. But we need them to come through the front door. And when we need them to come through the front door, that that means that the United States of America and our government need to make sure that we have things in place so that we have enough people uh, processing asylum cases, that we have the ability to bring these people into this country the right way. And we need to meet in, at a common ground and achieve that and, and not point fingers, not blame you know one president or another, not blame one secretary of Homeland Security or another. Let's move past that. Let's find solutions. And if we want to fix this, we need to put that stuff aside, roll up our sleeves and get to work. New York Republican Congressman Anthony D'Esposito, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Stay safe. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Greg Jarrett with your Fox News commentary coming up. Officials in Pennsylvania are calling it a success. Almost two weeks since convicted murderer Danilo Cavalcante broke out of the Chester County Jail he is now again in custody. During that time on the run, this guy managed to steal a van, even a rifle. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro giving credit to law enforcement that nobody was hurt in this situation. Thank God there were no injuries to law enforcement or to the public. We obviously became deeply concerned after the suspect was able to steal a weapon. He was apprehended this morning with no shots 
fired. This was a multi-agency effort with police officers dressed in full camo, scouring the search area, and advanced technology being used in the search. George Bivens is lieutenant colonel with the Pennsylvania State Police. One of the Customs and Border Control teams, BORTAC, uh, had a dog with them. They released the dog. Some of our PSP CERT members were also there, had him surrounded. The dog sub subdued him, and team members from both of those teams immediately moved in. This was an intense search, which involved local, state, and national muscle to bring this illegal immigrant from Brazil back into custody. Another example of law enforcement working together, both on the ground and behind the scenes. I see this as a victory for law enforcement. Nicole Parker is a former special agent with the Department of Justice, FBI, and currently serves as a senior advisor to the America First Policy Institute's Center for Law and Justice. Americans are accustomed to watching these television programs where the case is solved within one hour. That's not realistic in, in real life many times. You have to get inside the mind of a criminal. When you know that you're going away for the rest of your life, you have absolutely nothing to lose. I think that we should remember that the day that he escaped was actually the day that he was sentenced, right there. In that county jail, he had just been sentenced to life in prison without parole, and he knew in his mind, I am not going to do this. And that was the day that he escaped. Absolutely. The psychology of that. I mean, with someone with nothing to lose is so dangerous. And this actually got even more dangerous when he stole a rifle. How does the search change when all of a sudden police realize he's armed? We don't know if he had any bullets with him, but nevertheless, he had a 22 caliber rifle enough to do some damage to someone. What's the mindset of investigators when they learn this? So when you're going into a situation like this, you know, I was on South Florida's Violent Crime Fugitive Task Force, the FBI's Violent Crime Fugitive Task Force. You go into every situation assuming they are armed and dangerous. You know, when you have someone that's escaped from the prison system, though, you're thinking, OK, well, they're probably not armed. But we saw exactly how he went about this. And he had burglarized homes. He had, you know, stolen vehicles. So at any moment, he could have, you know, obtained a weapon. But from the moment that he took the rifle, this could have, this could have ended very, very differently. And I was under the assumption, based on my experience and takedowns that I've done with criminals that were not going to go to jail, I truly believe that there could have been a hostage situation, and I truly believe that there could have been bloodshed in this incident. So we were extremely fortunate that there was no loss of life. There were no civilians that were held hostage, no civilians that were killed. But let me point out the luck that he had. If we go back and look through the different times, there were multiple sightings, right? Over a dozen sightings. The ring doorbell, he was so gutsy. To communicate with someone over a ring doorbell, knowing that law enforcement can obtain that information and go back and trace his steps through that, he didn't care. He took the risk, but he didn't get caught. He steals the van. What are the chances? He approaches a van and it has keys in it and he could just steal the van and, and, and escape? That's luck. He stole a rifle. He happens to approach a home where there's an open garage door and happens to see a rifle within plain sight. He's able to take that. He was able to obtain work boots, clothing, something to shave his face. That's quite frankly, a lot of luck. And in law enforcement, the criminals have to get lucky, but law enforcement has to be accurate and precise every single time. We don't operate on luck. We operate on skill. But frankly, he had a lot of chances that he got lucky and evaded law enforcement. But don't kid yourself. You had the local, state, and federal law enforcement partners collaborating. When those agencies come together and they put aside their agency and they come together as one, well, I knew that he was going to get caught. Frankly, 
nothing was going to stop law enforcement from getting this individual. It was just a matter of time. He got lucky. It ended up being 14 days. But with my experience and, you know, again, you look at him and think he's not sophisticated, but with his background, he was a very savvy criminal. He'd killed at least one person in Brazil that we knew of. He stabbed his ex-girlfriend 38 times in front of her two young children. Do you know why he did that? Was to keep her silent from telling law enforcement in the United States that he was wanted in Brazil. He'd already proven that he was willing to kill someone to evade going to jail. So he had no limits. Yeah, really good point there, especially with the he's already proven that he killed someone to keep them silent. So why wouldn't you do it again, especially when he's on the run from police? I want to call on your experience for this here. What goes into a search for a fugitive, especially one like this who had just busted out of jail? What is the procedure? What are police looking for? It's really about resources. Law enforcement has the capabilities to utilize advanced technology that we did not have 30, 40 years ago. Drones, aviation, you know, airplanes, helicopters, the thermal imaging, which was in what, frankly, around 12, 1 a.m., that is when DEA was up in the air. They, they had him. They had to land the plane because of the, the bad weather, but they brought in the tactical teams on the ground level, and it was that canine. So... What you're going to be looking for, frankly, is a lot of cooperation between multiple law enforcement agencies on every single level. We understand that his sister, you know, was taken into custody by ICE for overstaying, but she was not willing to cooperate with law enforcement and seemed that she was almost going to be assisting him with with his escape. Do you think he got any help during this escape? He was able to elude law enforcement for so long. Could he have done this alone? You mentioned he was lucky, but do you think he might have gotten help, especially so from the sister? Well, he attempted to get help, remember, through those incidents where he contacted former acquaintances. I'm not sure because I haven't seen the communication, but I will tell you, based on my experience, there are analysts behind the scenes that had reviewed his jail calls, reviewed all of the contacts that he has had with anyone, who he has worked for. There were interviews going on behind the scenes that we are not aware of. So what you see on television and what's actually happening when you say, oh, it was 13, 14 days, that's a long time. There's a lot of work that was happening that you did not see. Clearly, his sister was not cooperative with law enforcement. And therefore, you know, I can't say what she did or did not do. But from what I understand in the press conference, she was going to be assisting him. And I've I've been in incidents where it ends differently, where the criminal said, look, I'm not going to jail. And I've had experience they end up dead. Law enforcement would have definitely been justified to use deadly force if he had come out with that rifle and was fighting. But take note that law enforcement didn't use deadly force. They, they did not need to use the lethal force. They used the canine. That was enough to stop him. And so you've got this environment in this country where I believe half the country is saying, oh, law enforcement is, you know, they're out there just using deadly force and it's not justified. And let me tell you, that is exactly not what law enforcement is doing. They're acting with the highest level of professionalism. And they we use the least amount of force possible in order to eliminate the threat. And that is what happened. Someone that is wanted for a murder in Brazil should not be permitted to enter into the United States under any circumstance whatsoever. It is dangerous. And our priority needs to protect our country and our citizens. And also, I think it's important to remember, elected officials have to support law enforcement. I think that's why this worked out so well. The governor of Pennsylvania supported law enforcement. Everyone had all hands on deck and were in support of this effort. And law enforcement deserves and needs that support and respect every single day in order to do their jobs. 
Absolutely. Definitely a team effort in all this. And we heard quite a bit from the governor, Josh Shapiro of Pennsylvania, who praised law enforcement for the fact that this did not end in bloodshed. And you got to thank the heroes, not only the police officers, but you mentioned that canine officer. That canine is a hero also. Nicole, you mentioned, I heard you say it a couple times, where what you see on TV is not exactly what's playing out behind the scenes. This case was on TV. It was a national story, huge deal, especially as the manhunt lingered on, too. And we heard more and more from the state police. We heard more and more from the governor. When you are one of the investigators trying to find this guy, and all of a sudden the media gets involved, then people start talking, and then you get politicians involved too. What does that do to the stress level around trying to find this convicted killer who, as you mentioned, is also an illegal immigrant? Right. So as an FBI agent, I can tell you I was busy on the scene working cases. I frankly wasn't watching the news. I didn't know what the media was saying because I was actually on the ground level working the cases. I can tell you there were oftentimes after the fact Uh, You know, you watch the media reports and you're like, well, actually, I was there. It was a little bit different. But I respect and appreciate the media. The media has a very important role in this. Without the media's help, think about all the tips that came into law enforcement. That's thanks to the media, whether it's through social media, radio, television. Y'all are the ones putting the information out to the public. So I actually appreciate and praise the media because you have a very important role for law enforcement to get the cooperation of the citizens and the community. So it's extremely important. What I was saying is that sometimes the media, you know, they, you can see the the search and, 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 you know, the air surveillance, what you don't see are the analysts at these various law enforcement agencies behind their computers, looking up and analyzing all of the information, getting information from, you know, the jail calls and, and all different things that, that we don't see in the media, right? Because that's behind closed doors and law enforcement does a lot of work and we don't reveal our, you know, techniques. And, but there's a lot of hours of work going on with hundreds of people in this instance that you don't see. Without the assistance of the media and all of the tips that came in, he wouldn't have been found. All right, Nicole Parker, former special agent with the Department of Justice and with the FBI. Nicole, where can we find you on Instagram? I'm at Nicole Parker USA. All right. We're definitely going to follow along. And thanks for your insight. Thanks for giving us some of the details as well. I like the perspective from a law enforcement officer who's been in these situations before. You know what it's like. And these men and women came through and canines all came through this time. Nicole, thanks for being with us on the Fox News Rundown podcast. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. The Fearless and Proud podcast series looks at acts of bravery and strength by women. And in this first season, we look at women who played important roles in the Civil War. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Greg Jarrett. What's on your mind? If Democrats truly believe in Joe Biden's innocence, They should welcome a formal impeachment inquiry, but they don't believe it. So they've embraced a phalanx strategy to oppose the investigation with the ardor of a guilty man who's been caught with his hand in the till. Soon they'll be claiming, don't believe your lying eyes. In announcing the inquiry, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said there are credible allegations of abuse of power, obstruction, and corruption. Literally within minutes, the Biden White House flatly claimed there is no evidence of wrongdoing. 
Okay, why not prove it? Remove all doubt, present evidence of innocence. And there's the rub. For several months, House committees have accumulated incriminating facts implicating Joe Biden as complicit in his son's influence peddling schemes with foreign adversaries. The elder Biden met personally with Hunter's overseas clients, had dinner with him, spoke by telephone with him on roughly 20 occasions and coordinated with his son's partners in covering it up. All the while, the president lied by insisting that he knew nothing at all about the nefarious deals never played a role. That farce was destroyed by Hunter's partner, Devin Archer. In the face of the mounting evidence of illegality, Democrats have simply issued rote denials of wrongdoing without ever offering any countervailing evidence. Well, now is their chance to do so during the impeachment inquiry that will surely involve public hearings. It's also an opportunity for President Biden, instead of stonewalling efforts to gain access to his banking records and his 5,400 alias emails, he can volunteer to turn them over. If he has nothing to hide, why hide them? The House Oversight Committee has already uncovered compelling evidence that Joe Biden used his influence to benefit the Ukrainian gas giant Burisma which was paying his son a million dollars a year. These disturbing allegations merit examination through a House impeachment inquiry. Did Joe Biden sell out his country for profit? Did his family get rich by betraying the public's trust? Americans deserve answers, especially as Joe Biden runs for re-election to a second term. But don't expect Democrats to welcome the opportunity to clear Joe Biden's name. It's an impossible task. So they'll resort to resisting, obstructing, and denying everything. And their handmaidens in the press, they'll continue to deceive you about the law. Joe Biden, he'll invoke the infamous Sergeant Schultz excuse that he knows nothing. Given his diminished mental acuity, that may actually turn out to be his only viable defense. I'm Greg Jarrett for Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.